0: time together last Sunday. Uh, The Crusaders led us in worship. They did not come and put on a show for us, but they did lead us in worship, and it was a wonderful time together. I so very much love and appreciate them, not only because I have to, um, because they are my in-laws, but because I want to. We love Jesus together. Amen. I'm still the favorite son-in-law, just for the record. I want to continue this discussion with you uh, on Pentecost. Next Sunday will be celebrated as Pentecost Sunday, and I'll explain a little bit more about that next week. Um, Pentecost in general, the, what it means, what it is. But I want to continue discussing a little bit uh, this morning the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. I told you when we started this series of conversations that it was going to be a little different, Uh, There was going to be a lot of information, and this may be a time over the next few weeks where it is more of a teaching um, that I I hope to give you and impart information on you rather than maybe a typical sermon and delivery that I have maybe got you used to so far. I don't know. Uh, But I want to teach you this to the very best of my ability. Uh, I told you two weeks ago that I believe that the Pentecostal church, the charismatic church, the church church that believes in the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, in the past has not done a very good job educating people. We've not done a very good job informing people and giving people information to understand what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, who the person of the Holy Spirit is. We have, have done a bad job of allowing people to form misconceptions and misinform ideologies of this feeling or emotion that the Holy Spirit is an it and is some supernatural experience that takes place one time and done. And I do not want you to be misinformed, and I have made it my goal because of my personal experiences and my personal fear of the ministry of the Holy Spirit for years. I've made it my goal in my ministry to make sure if you decide to allow the Holy Spirit to work or not to work in your life, you've made an informed decision not based on something you didn't understand. So, let's get going. If you would please turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. And I know you're confused because I'm talking to you about the Holy Spirit and we're going to Numbers chapter 11. Just hang with me just a moment. I'm going to skip through and paraphrase this to an extent that I can get where I want to go and you can fact check me later. And If I'm wrong, you're welcome to correct me decently and in order. Amen? So the people of Israel have been taken out of Egypt and they're free and they're out in the wilderness and God's been providing food for them. He's been providing manna. Moses is the leader. He's been leading this crowd. And they're, they're fed up. They're kind of aggravated. And they're not hungry. It really don't make sense to me because there's no way they're hungry. They've got all the manna that they need. God supplied exactly what they need for each day. And on the weekends before the Sabbath, he prepares enough that they can get enough to carry them through the next day so they don't have to prepare. So they're not hungry, yet they're not content. They want some meat. I know that you are like me, and you've had times in your life where even though what you had was enough, you're not content and you want some meat, right? So they've aggravated Moses to the point that he goes to God and he said, Look, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know why you brought me out here to leave me like this. I don't know why you brought me out here to put these people on me, but they want some meat. He said, what do you mean they want some meat? I don't, fine, I'll give them some meat. And then Moses instantly shifts gears. He said, how are you going to do that? Read it. He said, but God, there's 600,000 troops right here. How are you going to provide meat? Do, are we going to have to kill off all our flocks? Are we going to have to kill off every animal that we got so that we get some meat? You ever wonder what God kind of does when we do this mess? First of all, you come to me. Out of discontent. I'm providing for you. I've brought you out of slavery. Was that not enough in itself? Hello? I brought you out of slavery. I have brought you out of bondage. I've given you freedom. Sure, we're wandering around in a wilderness, but I'm an outdoorsy guy. How bad really is that? They're, they've got enough. Yet they're still discontent. So Moses, out of frustration, confused what to do. God, if you brought me here to lead me for this, just take me out of my misery and kill me now. That's their leader. That's kind of scary. But you go read it. He said it. And God says, fine, I'll give you meat. And when God starts pouring out blessings, isn't it just like us to question how you're going to do it? And God says, I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to give you meat to the point it's coming out your nose. He said, I'm going to give you meat to the point that you're loathsome over the meat that you got. God's going to provide not only what they need, but what they want. But then he goes on, and this is where I'm going. that was all just an add-in, no extra charge kind of thing. It just felt good for me to preach it to you this morning. He said, "Get 70 elders of the tribe together. Have them meet me at the tabernacle." This is God. He said, "Have them meet. I'll meet them there." He said, "I'll pour out my spirit on them, and they'll prophesy. So Moses goes and he gets 70 people and he says, "Hey, I need you to go to the tent of meeting, go to the tabernacle. God's going to meet us there. He's going to pour out his spirit on you, and you're going to prophesy." Sixty-eight of these jokers, listen, two of them do not. Sixty-eight of them make it to the temple. When they get to the tabernacle, God's spirit begins to move and they begin to prophesy. Those two scragglers out in the camp were not exempt from the move of God. They had been called. They had been chosen. Man, I feel this this morning. See, I've been the two scragglers on the outside that I knew I was supposed to be in the tabernacle, but I wouldn't go in the tabernacle. I stayed out. I still had to move, and I was the one to look crazy. Step out of God's will for a little while. God's called you to do something. You don't do it for just a little while. You talk about misery? See, I dealt with a lot of church hurt growing up. I dealt with a lot of junk. I watched my family deal with a lot of stuff, a lot of struggles. I watched Micah's family deal with a lot of junk. I watched my dad physically sick, worrying about church stuff. I wanted nothing to do with the ministry of God. I was a Christian, stand up, did my very best, saved, sanctified, eventually filled with the Holy Spirit. But absolutely not, Lord. Am I going to do this? He said, whether you like it or not, whether you're in the camp or whether you're out of the camp, whether you're at the tabernacle or you're still out there, I've called you to do this and you're going to do it. Anyway, the two guys on the outside that are still in the camp begin they're, they're, the, the Spirit of God moves on them at the same time he moves on the 68. And when the Spirit of God moves, those two people outside start prophesying. And see, just like it would be when you go to KFC in a little while, if you started working in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, people are going to look at you like you're crazy. They're going to think you're, wow, what in the world are you doing, guy? And so they go back to Moses. Poor Moses. They go back to Moses. These guys are out there prophesying. They're out there working in the Spirit. I don't know what they're doing, but you need to stop it. And this is Moses' response. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his Spirit upon them all. See, Moses had no idea when he led these people out of Egypt when he led these people to freedom, he had no idea that thousands of years later God would send his son and through his son, all of God's people would have the ability to prophesy and have the Lord's spirit on them. He had no clue. He's speaking something that really was wishful thinking. But by the power of Christ. And because the person of the Holy Spirit and who he is within the Trinity of God, this is possible. This is real. Because if we've accepted Christ into our life, regardless of whether we ever make it to next Sunday's discussion of Pentecost, whether we ever get to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've accepted Christ into your life, what Moses wanted for you has happened. The Spirit of God is now on you. You have the Spirit living within you. Moses is fed up, broken down, busted, disgusted, aggravated with people. Lord help him. And he makes this statement that ended up being history coming to pass. That's good. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. A lot of what I'm going to talk to you about can be found in Dr. Raymond Culpepper's book, Understanding the Ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you want more details, you want to read, I'd be happy to let you see this book. Dr. Raymond Culpepper was a previous general overseer of our denomination. He is an awesome guy. He's a scholar of the Word of God, and he's a scholar of this topic. And uh, anyway, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, I told you last week that from the very beginning of time, if you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, you see the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity present from the very beginning. You see God the Father creating. You see the Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep. And when you go to John chapter 1, you understand that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And he goes on to say everything was created by him and through him and for him. And then he says the Word came to earth and became flesh. Therefore, the Word is Jesus. And Jesus was present at creation. You with me? That's a mouthful. We see the Trinity in the very beginning. But we see the Holy Spirit present in the beginning of time. We see the Holy Spirit present when God shortened man's days to 120 years. It's recorded in Genesis chapter 6. He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. From the beginning of Genesis, the Holy Spirit was present with man. He goes on in in Exodus chapter 31. We see a man named Bezalel, and God fills him with his spirit in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. In Judges chapter 6, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. In Judges chapter 14, Samson says he slays a lion with his bare hands after the Spirit of the Lord came on him mightily. I want to kill a lion with my bare hands because I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I just think that'd be awesome, and I like lions. But I still think that'd be pretty awesome. And then Peter confirms to us in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 that the Holy Spirit actually was responsible for giving the prophets the words in which they spoke in the Old Testament. There's no denying that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, was present all throughout Old Testament history. There's no denying that the Holy Spirit has been present in people's life and God has been pouring His Spirit out on people since the very beginning of time. So we walk up to Jesus. What about the Holy Spirit in Jesus's life? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit was present. Before Jesus ever began his ministry, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied of Holy Spirit baptism. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, became uh, pregnant with Jesus because the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, that the, the Jesus himself on earth was formed out of the Holy Spirit. You with me? But when she walks in the door to Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mother, she walks in, the baby starts jumping for joy, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's shortly after John the Baptist's birth that his daddy, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. We read in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the temple, uh, into the wilderness to be tempted. That in itself is rough for me. Because if I'm going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, the last place I want him to take me is to a wilderness where I'm going to be hungry, broken down, and tempted beyond understanding. But if you read down just a few verses later, it says that Jesus exited the wilderness under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we have to allow the Holy Spirit to take us into a wilderness and take us through some junk. Take us through a place that's lonely. Take us through a place that's broken. Take us through a place where we're literally starving so that we come out empowered by who he is to do what he wants us to do. I really didn't know how this was going to preach this morning. In John chapter 20, Jesus breathes on his disciples and he says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. That's probably one of my favorite. That's precious to me. I don't know why that resonates with me. But here's Jesus who's walked and talked and seen these messed up, cussing, mean, tempered guys. The disciples weren't perfect. Perfect. They were saved by grace, just like you and me. And here's Jesus. The one you and I were exalting a few minutes ago, lifting up. His name is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It says he breathed on them. Breath, the original word is ruah. And it's the same word that's used so often in Scripture for spirit. And so he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but if I could literally have Jesus stand before me and just whisper those words to me, and the Holy Spirit fill me and empower me, how amazing would that be? I just can't help but think I, I put myself in Scripture. It's the only way I can keep up and pay attention most of the time. You want to know the truth? I have to put myself there. And I can imagine sitting around with Jesus and Him saying, you know what? Here's what's got to happen. you be filled with power. you be filled with understanding. you be filled with wisdom so that you can do exactly what it is I've called you to do because you're going to change the world. Jesus breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that gave Jesus the availability and the opportunity to resurrect from the dead. The Holy Spirit literally is the one that raised Jesus out of the grave. It was the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent ten days after he ascended into heaven. There's no doubt that the Holy Spirit was present in the life of Jesus. What's the point of understanding those two things? Well, it's not something that happened in Acts chapter 2, and it's not something that ended in the book of Acts. That's the point. It's not something of yesterday. It's not something that that only took place during this one time. It's not something that those 120 awesome people received in, in that upper room, and then it was no more. From the very beginning of time, you have to see the Holy Spirit. You have to understand that God, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, work together constantly. Holy Spirit is God. So what about us? It's easy for me to stand here and tell you. You need the Holy Spirit working in your life. But for so long, we've not really explained what that meant. We've watched, maybe you hadn't, I don't know. I was raised in a church very similar to this one, and I remember Sunday nights. They were the heat, man. You talk about the fire of God. You talk about the air conditioner being off. It felt like the air conditioner was off. Them little ladies, Bobby Plins, flying everywhere, and I love to see some of them get a little shout on, they do a little jig. Amen? Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. There was power in that. But we did not do a good job of informing what happened after that or what happened outside of that 30-minute celebration. We did not do a good job of informing what it meant For the Holy Spirit to be at work within the believer's life. First of all, there's four primary works that I want to tell you of the Holy Spirit, the believer. The first one is the initial conviction of sin. If you've ever had remorse for anything that you've done morally wrong, the Holy Spirit has worked in your life, my friend. whether you've ever experienced any of the stuff I'm talking about, we used to experience whether you've realized it or not, whether you've ever ever had a conversation with God, the Holy Spirit, whether it's ever been like that at all. If you've ever had conviction of anything that took place in your life that was morally wrong, if you ever had to ask God to forgive you, or you ever had to ask somebody to forgive you for something that you did wrong, you you realized there was something that happened, you were convicted by the Holy Spirit. Remorse that takes place in a non believer is taking place by the Holy Spirit. There's something inside of us that makes us want to morally do what's right, whether you're saved or not. You know that it's not a good idea to go kill somebody. Sometimes things happen, and sometimes we get messed up, and there's people that get messed up. But really, morally, there is an under, underlying moral law written on each one of us, whether we believe Christ. You ask an atheist, you ask an agnostic, hey, go take somebody's life. No. Why? Because it's not right. True. And if you do that, whether you believe in him or not, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. So the first work is the conviction of sin. doesn't always mean that it's, I'm not talking about God coming down on our life with some big jackhammer and smashing us or whooping us with a belt across our tail. I'm talking about there's something inside of us that makes us realize, I should not have said that. The something that's inside of us is not a something, it's a someone, and it's the Holy Spirit. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does as He works in our life is He imparts the saving faith. If you've accepted Christ into your life and you've believed on the Word of God... You believe that God created the heavens and the earth and he created us and we were created to be with union with him and we messed it up out of disobedience. We needed a way back to him. He sent his son. His son died on a cross for you and for I and his son was the repayment of the sin, the disobedience, the failure in our life. Now through his son we have freedom. If you believe that, the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. The only way whatsoever anybody would be crazy enough, I'll say that, Family, I hate to tell you, but people that don't believe that look at us kind of like we're crazy, and that's okay. But if you believe that, if you have that initial saving faith, knowing that when you ask Christ into your life, you're saved, you receive freedom, you receive an eternity in heaven. If you had the faith to believe that, then the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. You didn't have to ask Him to. You didn't have to to beg him to. You didn't have to even understand that anything was taking place dealing with the person of the Holy Spirit whatsoever. I'm telling you now, the Holy Spirit gives you the faith to be saved. Paul said that we're saved by grace and it's a gift of God. That means you can't do it on your own. The gift that comes is the faith that comes only through the person of the Holy Spirit. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is regeneration or spiritual birth. Now, that's weird. And those are very christian terms. So let's break it down. You were born into this world from your mama. I don't need to tell you how. Hopefully, you've had an anatomy lesson at some point. And you understand that process. There's no way whatsoever that you can go back and be born again from your mother. Right? Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And it really puts John 3.16 in context when you read the whole chapter. But he's teaching Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, hey, what have I got to do, Jesus, to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, whoa, buddy. That's weird, first of all. Second of all, it's not possible. And Jesus says, You must be born again. You were born of water, now you've got to be born of spirit. So here's very simply the best way that I know how to put it. We're not going to get into a whole point of life and point of conception, that's not the topic of this conversation. When a baby is born into the world, life begins, right? There's a breath of air. Truly, I believe when conception takes place, there's life. That's, just stay with me for a moment. When a baby entered into the world, there's new life, right? It's a fresh start, a fresh beginning. From that point forward, that's that baby's birthday. And from then to the rest of their life, we count their birthdays, right? Right? So being spiritually born again, being regenerated, to be born again, to be born by the Spirit, whatever you want to say, whatever Christian term we throw out there, it simply means that by the grace of God, by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I get a new beginning. That's all it is. We receive new life. Because sure enough, without Him, my old one was pretty messed up. I needed a new one. And I didn't have the authority, I didn't have the power, I didn't have my receipt to go turn it back in and start over. Jesus did. And only by the work of the Holy Spirit did I begin on that day, did I begin this new life with God. Only by the Holy Spirit. All, everything that had taken place before, all the mess-ups, all the failures, every, every fallen that I, every time i had ever fell, everything that I had ever done, every sin I had ever committed, every sin that I would commit, everything that took place before that point in time was gone and new life began. His word says that I am a new creation. That don't mean that he cleaned up and made this old junk look good. That means he wiped it out and started fresh molding something new from nothing. Spiritual rebirth is a fancy way of saying you got a clean start only by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus made it possible. God the Father's in the process, but Jesus is not here walking with you and I. He sent the Holy Spirit to make it happen. Jesus. Dying on a cross made it possible for you and I to be spiritually born again. But Jesus won't hear for me physically to make it happen. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit causes the individual to become a new creation. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. The Holy Spirit gives us continual access to the Father. He provides inner strength and growth for us. He calls us to character, ministry, and service. He helps us grow towards sanctification. Sanctification is another fancy Christianese words, which just means we're to be set apart. The Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life is to make me look like God to the very best of His ability. Whether I choose to walk in that or not is my choice. But he's constantly convicting me of sin. He's constantly encouraging me to be better. He's constantly strengthening me and growing me deeper. For example, Brother Taylor and I were doing some work this past week, and we were getting some rocks out of an area of dirt, and it was really aggravating. I'll be honest with you. I had the rake. Taylor was bending down, picking up rocks. Sorry. I would pick them up with a rake and hand them to Taylor. It doesn't matter. I said, Taylor, it was hot We're nasty, pouring sweat. I said, there's a sermon in this somewhere, Taylor. I said, these rocks represent the sin in our life. I said, this dirt is not going to work until we get the rocks out. We were actually going to put a swimming pool on that area. I said, if these rocks stay in this dirt, it's going to damage the swimming pool. They got to be got out. And even though it's aggravating and even though it's tedious and even though we didn't put them there, they got to be got out because they're going to cause damage to everybody around us. He said they were a whole lot easier to put here than they are to get out. But they still have to come out. Now that's a sermon one day that Taylor's going to preach to you, but point is, we're standing there with blisters on our hands, pouring sweat. And the Holy Spirit's working in that moment to give us something so simple. I don't know when one day we'll use it. Maybe God's going to send somebody, the tailor, and he's going to say, one day I was picking up these rocks. And you need to get the rocks out of your life. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, the Holy Spirit was working in her life. The Holy Spirit strengthens the testimony and belief, our belief, of the testimony of Christ. And the fourth work of the Holy Spirit in our life is the Holy Spirit gives power for service and for ministry. The Holy Spirit gives power for service and for ministry. I could not stand before you and have this conversation today if it was not by the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. I remember the day, I've told you before, I remember the day it was on my 21st birthday. I didn't go get drunk, I was standing in a church service on a Sunday morning. And I had been terrified. Of the Holy Spirit. I knew that when I asked Christ into my life. Holy Spirit dwelled within me. And God's spirit lived within me. I knew I was doing what was right. I was doing my very. But I even knew I was called into ministry at that point. I had been leading worship in high school. I had seen my entire small Christian high school. We used to meet in a church similar to this size, and I would lead worship my senior year. And I watched them go from goofing off and cutting up to worshiping and walking up down the halls of our high school singing the worship songs that we would do on Wednesday mornings in our chapel services. I was 18 years old when this took place. I knew that the Holy Spirit was at work within my life. I knew conviction of sin. I knew sanctification I was working in ministry. I could not speak. And I've told you, I was somewhere eating lunch. I think I showed, I think Brother Tommy was with me the other day. We were in Bush Creek, and I showed him the professor at Campbell University that looked at me. I worked for a small local bank at the time I was trying to get through school. And I walked in with a suit, uh, shirt and tie on because I wore a shirt and tie every day to work, so I walked in with my shirt and tie to make a presentation, and he docked points because I didn't have a coat on. I'm like, man, I've showed up to your class every single day with a shirt and tie. These guys are in gym shorts and T-shirts. He docked me because I didn't have a jacket on, but he also counted every time I said the word um or uh in that presentation, and it destroyed me when I got through I hated it. I didn't want to present. I didn't want to talk. Micah will tell you that there's a lot of days she gets aggravated because I stand and talk and she's waiting on me. When she married me, I was the opposite of that person. I was the biggest introvert that there was. I didn't want to talk to you. You could be my very best buddy. And I could care less if I spoke to you or not. Not intentionally. I just just soon keep to myself. And I knew God had called me to be in ministry. And I was dealing with all the church hurt. I was dealing with all this other junk we had accepted when we got married. I said, girl, the Lord's called us to do something. I don't know what it is. So if you don't want part of this, you might want to stay away. But I wouldn't accept it. And on my 21st birthday. I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And when I received that baptism, it wasn't, I'm not a very emotional person. I didn't fall out in the floor. I think I cried because I do cry. I didn't look like I had lost any control of myself. I didn't look like anything I had ever seen in the past. Nothing wrong with that. It wasn't me. But I received the power that Luke talks about in Acts 1-8 when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's quoting Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. There was something supernatural that took place. It wasn't just a moment for me because I didn't really have a moment. I knew by the initial evidence of me speaking in tongues that I had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't no knockdown, drag out, run up down the aisles moment. It's not going to be for me unless the Lord just says, boom, here it is, because that's not me. I don't get excited like that about much of anything. That's not who I am. But I was terrified my whole life. I knew I was called into ministry at 16 years old. For seven years, I would not. Did I do that math right? I did not. Five years. Lord help. I would not allow God to fully work in my life because I was afraid of this. I was uh, a friend of mine and, and myself. We were leading a youth group at 18 years old because we didn't have a youth pastor. But I would not allow God to work. In my life, the way he wanted to, under the power of the Holy Spirit. But on that day, when he came into me in the fullness, I'm going to probably butcher this, but it was something that I read that I want to tell you. When you accept Christ, you could play me something soft, please. When you accept Christ, you have the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit baptizes you, the Holy Spirit has you. I did not butcher it. That's exactly how it goes. When you accept Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has you. That means all of my being from that point forward, I've done my very, very best to walk in the leading and under the anointing Of the Holy Spirit. Have I failed? Absolutely. Probably this week at some point in time. One day we were out here working and everything under the sun broke. I believe that Taylor would attest. I put a smile on my face. I laughed about it. We kept going. I've done my very, very best. Since that day to follow what God would really have for me. I knew from that day forward that I had to preach His Word, which made no sense to me because I didn't want a microphone for nothing and I couldn't have a conversation with you. You put me behind a drum set, behind a guitar, at that point even behind a keyboard and allow me to close my eyes because I didn't want to look at you. You don't raise your hand and worship, that's on you. I ain't looking at you. But to give me a microphone and ask me to deliver the Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life has been, He's given me power to serve and to minister. Whatever capacity that looks like. We've had some very deep discussions on well, the last couple Wednesday nights, this past week, we talked about the spiritual gifts that God's given us, and I'm, I'm as open and transparent as I can be to you. And it kind of became a joke, but the lowest on my list is mercy. And we study that, the gift of mercy, the, the spiritual gift, is compassion for people, and it's that feeling of being there. Needing to be there. I need to be there. I'm not wired to the way that God's put that in me. I love people. I love you. And sure, I do feel like I need to be there. But if you're looking at the scale of what my skill set is, that's not my sharpest tool in the toolbox. So if I walk into a hospital room where you are, where your family is, or if I walk in where something tragically has happened in your life, and I walk in where you've experienced some kind of loss, you need to know it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that your pastor's standing there and able to do anything whatsoever because it's not natural for me. It's just not. We walked into a room this past week. I'm not comfortable doing it. Some of you in this room are. We learned that mercy is some of your highest, your, your highest trait. I'm not comfortable doing that. I will do that because it's what I'm called to do. The point I'm making to you is, it's only by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life that I can do those things that are not easy for me. It's only by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that when I wake up on a Sunday morning and my stomach is tore all two pieces, you probably stay home if your stomach hurt like mine did sometimes, because I know that I get to stand before and deliver the Word of God, but that means that I have to stand and deliver the Word of God. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that that takes place. For you to be sitting and not be so confused right now is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a conversation with my wife riding down the road, and she can be like, what in the world are you talking about? My communication is horrible. I got 15,000 different thoughts going through my mind, and they all come together at one time. And something comes out. The fact that you're with me in this conversation and you're still awake and you're still listening is only because of the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants you and I to walk in the fullness of who he is. Would you stand with me? I told you two weeks ago, my goal for this series of conversations leading up to next week, I'll be honest, I can't decide if I want to end this next week, and I don't really know what the Lord's going to let us do. We'll see how it goes. We got a lot of ground to cover and a short little time span to get there. So we might roll right on into September, October. I'm just kidding. Maybe. Maybe. But I told you that my heart for you and for this whole discussion and the place that I wanted you to be is that you would just be open to more. That you would just truly be praying and seeking God for more of him. It's not something crazy, it's not something wild, it's not emotion, it's it's not this crazy feeling that takes place. It literally is this third aspect of God the the Father, the Trinity, God the, the Son. There's the third aspect, God the Holy Spirit, that you and I are not allowing to function and to work in our life to the fullness. And so all I've asked is that you just be open to more. That you would allow the Holy Spirit to work and reveal something to you where you have a little light bulb go off in your head and say, Wow, that actually makes a little bit of sense. You're going to think I'm crazy, but this week when you lose your car keys, say a prayer Holy Spirit, I need to find my car keys. You laugh. Ain't nobody got to hear you say it because they're going to think you're crazy. I bet you find your car keys. I almost bet that a thought comes to your mind, a vision of where they are, and you walk straight to them and pick them up. You think I'm crazy? Try it. I lose something all the time. But I'm in close enough relationship with the Holy Spirit that I say, Lord, have mercy, Holy Spirit. I need you to do this. Something as simple as finding my car keys. Because God wants to be that personal with us. He wants us relying on Him that much. Do I have to find him? To have to? Do I have to have him to find my car keys? I mean, if I want to find them within the next hour, probably, but. No, realistically. But if I have this power, if I have this relationship, why not tap into it? Why not tap into a relationship that when I'm standing before somebody that is aggravated to death with me at work this week, why, why not have the, the relationship where I can say, Holy Spirit, I really, really need the words to say. So that the words that come out of my mouth are sweet as honey. Honey. Even if it's truth and correction, it can be sweet. Why not tap into that? It's there. Holy Spirit's working in your life. I've already just spent this whole time telling you that, that for you to be sitting here today, for you to have accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit has already been at work in your life. 99% of us, our issue is between our ears. And you've never been told that you can pray to the Holy Spirit to find your car keys and you can have somebody to help you find your car keys. All over town, they're going to be saying that crazy pastor over there says, I can pray to find my car keys. I don't care. If they show up, we can tell them that too. I just ask you to open yourself up to more. Would you bow your head with me, Father? I love you, Lord. God, I thank you for your saving grace, your love, your compassion you've shown on us. God, to send your son Jesus to this earth, to walk this earth, to live this life. God, come knowing that The mission and the purpose. God is to die on a cross to save the world. Jesus, I thank you for being submissive to that and one dying on the cross that I may have freedom, I may have salvation. And though you're not here with us physically right now, I thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the work that you've had in my personal life, that you convict me of sin and failures and shortcomings, that you give me enough faith to continue to push forward. You give me faith to believe that I can be more. You give me faith to believe that I can be saved and sanctified, God, that I can be set apart and different from the world. I thank you that you've been at work in my life to empower me, to grow me, to allow me to be a new creation, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have given me power and strength to do ministry, to be witnesses, to be the witness of who you are and to do the things that you've called me to do. I thank you, Lord. Father, if there's anybody here today that don't have a relationship with you, they've never accepted you into their life, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to move in them and that they would feel something a little different, that you would begin to speak to them in a way that they may not even know what's going on, but it's drawing us to you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I've had this long conversation about the Holy Spirit, but you're not even in a relationship With God the Father, your creator. And you want to be this morning. I want to ask you, I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody's looking around at you. You want to know Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand? Praise the Lord. That means that each one of us either made an informed decision to not know Jesus or we're in this relationship with God and we need more. Would you just pray right now for a moment where you're at that God would just pour himself out to you, that he would show you more than you've ever seen before, who he is. Give, uh, Lord, that you would give us revelation, Father. You would give us understanding. Would you just pray and ask him to give you more right now, Father? Lord, I pray over your people. God, as we're simply asking for more this morning, God, as we're simply seeking you, wanting to know more, wanting to understand more, we want more wisdom and knowledge and understanding of who you are, understanding of scripture, understanding of what it is you've created us for. Why in the world am I here? What's my purpose? What's my plan? God, what is it that you've gifted me with? What is it that you have put in my heart? What is it that you've put in my makeup to make me who I am? What is it that you've gifted me with to bless other people with? What is it you created me for? God, we want more. God, we want more understanding of who you are and the fact that you're God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God, we want to understand more and more the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We understand this morning, God, that you've already moved in us. The work of the Holy Spirit has already taken place for us to have received faith to be saved, for us to have received the, the conviction, the correction for sin, for us to have any faith whatsoever. We've been gifted by the Holy Spirit already. Father, you've given us power already to do your work. God, but we need more. Some of us would have been baptized, but we need a refilling. We need more of your Spirit, God, and I pray that you move in us, Father, as we go throughout this week, or as we go throughout our day to day. When we wake up first thing in the morning, I pray that our hearts would be focused on more of you, seeking more of you, seeking more understanding of things that make no sense whatsoever to us. God, I pray that you begin to bring clarity. That you begin to bring understanding to our hearts and to our minds. The things that can only be understood because you give understanding. God, I pray you give us that understanding. I thank you, Lord. I worship you, God, for what you're going to do. Father, I understand the urgency of needing more this morning. God, as we Continue on, Lord, in this discussion, God. We'll understand more and more with the fact that when your Spirit was poured out on the early church, it started with 120. It moved to 3,000. It moved to multitudes, which then went to great multitudes. God, if every person in this house under the sound of my voice would open up to more of you, Who in the world knows what we could do to change the world for who you are? God, give us more. I thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you for every person that's a part of this house, every person that's been a part of this family today, God. Those that are a regular part, those that maybe this is their first time or maybe their first few times back, God, I thank you for them. God, I pray blessings on our families, Lord, that you bless these people. That you give them a wonderful week. God, give them more of you. I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.